Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Pretty good? Good. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's David, and uh, really good to be with you. I'm the teaching pastor for the Zero Collective, which New Life is a part of, uh, which basically just, it's a group of other churches uh, in the greater Grand Rapids area uh, that work together. So I get to be here today. Brad gets a break, and uh, I can't wait for what we're going into. Uh, I want to make a statement today, though, something that you all know. Uh, there's two different types of people in this world, rule followers and rule breakers. Are there any breakers in the room? There we go. Breakers, it's good. Man, you're in good company. I love this. This is true. Isn't it so funny that rule breakers and rule followers often marry each other? Did you notice that about half of you raised your hands and the other half did not? Uh, I think there's kind of like a, an attraction level um, from one side to the other. I think rule breakers are like, you know what? I should probably use some God in my life, and I probably need like some consistency and obedience. And, and all the rule followers said amen, but they said it quietly because you're in church and they're following the rules. Um, all, the, all the rule followers, though, are like, I need a rule breaker in my life just so I know what it's like to live a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to speed on the highway. I want to do a rolling stop at the stop sign. I want I want to know what it's like to live on the edge, right? That's some of some of you. That's a little bit my experience with my wife. Uh, my wife is the rule follower. I am the rule breaker, right? I believe, just like every other rule breaker in this room, that rules were made to be broken. So you're in good company today. And uh, here's the deal. Lost people uh, are really easy to identify uh, sometimes because often we look at like the rule breakers and we go, yep, you're a lost person, right? I'm going to talk to a lot of church people today. Um, but Brad started us off last week talking about a story that many of us would be familiar with. Even if you didn't grow up in church, even if church wasn't part of your background, you weren't a Jesus follower, maybe you're not even a Jesus follower today, but maybe you've heard of the story called the prodigal son. You know the story when the son, he comes to his father and he says, you know, dad, let's just pretend like you're dead. Give me my share of the inheritance so that I can go off and live life the way I want. He's the rule breaker. And so the father just kind of being overwhelmingly generous and maybe to a fault, maybe, maybe even reckless, one might say, the father actually gives him what he was entitled to. So there's two brothers that the father has, uh, or two, two sons that the father has. So two brothers, the older one, which is the rule follower, the younger, which is the rule breaker, the younger would have been entitled to a third of the father's estate. So isn't it true too? those of you that are parents, don't you know your kids? like super early. Like you just get to know their personality. You get to know their bend. You get to know like, what can I trust you with? What can't I trust you with? And pretty much, you know, that within the first year of their life, some of you, it's like within the first couple of weeks, you're like, yep, I got one of those. Awesome. I got a rule breaker. And then just every day or every week after that, it's a confirmation of what you already know is true. Don't you think the father would have known that he could expect this from his younger son? That when he came and said, Dad, I, I want my share of the inheritance, don't you think the father had a pretty good idea of what he was going to do? And yet he gave it to him. 
And so if you don't know the story, I'll just recap it for you. Brad talked about it last week. It'd be great to listen to that one if you haven't already, uh, and then maybe even come back to this one today. But last week, Brad focused on the younger brother. The younger brother leaves. He goes and spends the inheritance. All the Dutch people like just get queasy on this word squander. He squandered it. He wasted it. It was like he was flippant and threw it here and there and just spent it on wild living. So it was alcohol and drugs and parties and prostitutes and you name it, anything that gave pleasure. That's what he spent it on. But then it says a famine hit the land, something the entire country went through. And now he had need in a very short amount of time. He found himself in a field feeding pigs. And he says this statement, even my father's hired hands, even the slaves of my father have it better off than I do. So I will go back to my father and I will trade my sonship to be a slave. And so what it says is the father saw him from a distance because he knows his boy. The father runs to him, he embraces him, he comes back and he throws a party for him. He doesn't even listen to the negotiation of his younger son. He throws a party and he says, you were dead, but now you're alive. And so in the midst of this party, the other brother is about to enter the story. And if you're a rule follower in the room, if that's maybe what you would ascribe to, you're going to have a lot in common today with this older brother. But the older brother has something to teach all of us. So let's see what happened. We're going to jump right in. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. It starts off like this. Uh, It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. What does the older son do in the field? Work. The older son is at work. We can just hit pause right there, right? There are some of us in this room that we, we have that little brother that just parties and plays all the time, but we're the ones that are working. We're the ones that are responsible. We're the ones that can be counted on. And so when the party is taking place for this crazy younger brother, older brother is at work and he works for his dad. And so he comes back in. Here's what it says. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Here's what the servant says. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Put yourself in the shoes of the older brother for a second. You have a little brother who's just wild who's irresponsible, who did damage to the family, who did damage to dad. You were the one that was at home when dad was staying up late at night that he was weeping for his son. He was praying and pleading that God would bring him home safe. You were there. You were there when there was disgrace that was heaped on the family because of the actions of the little brother. You felt the emotions of people judging you and your family. You took a hit too because you know dad could have done something with that third that the brother just squandered. You know dad could have grew that and made it more because eventually someday he was entitled to two-thirds of that inheritance so it cost him financially it cost him relationally it cost him emotionally it cost him in so many different spheres of life and now brother is back and he doesn't even know dad threw a party yet right it doesn't he does all he hears is music and dancing and it's like you can imagine he goes yep classic little brother classic little brother everywhere he goes he gets a party And then he finds out, just like we read, oh, your father threw the party. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. If you are the older brother, how do you feel right now? Probably pretty ticked off. Probably upset. Probably hurt. Angry. There's probably not a big piece of you that's like, 
Yes, he's home. I'm starving. There's probably this piece of you that's like, are you kidding me? Here he comes in yet again. And and dad just bends over backwards for him. It's not too hard to jump to those conclusions, whether you could identify as a rule follower or a rule breaker. I mean, if you're just looking at older brother, you go, I can get why you'd be ticked off. That would make sense to me. In fact, I think you'd, you'd be entitled to being ticked off. But let's keep reading. Let's, let's see what happens. Luke 15, verse 28 says this, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. So older brother goes, this is stupid. I am so upset right now. I, I'm not going to go in and go to my little brother's party. Are you, for what reason? To, so that he can do it again and again and again and again. And we can enable him to, to celebrate him and the bad decisions that he made. Here I am working and slaving away. Are, are you kidding me? I don't want to go in. I don't want to be a part of the party. So the father comes out and it says he's begging with him. He's pleading with him. He's inviting him. He's coaxing him. Please come into this party. Think about this now from the perspective of the dad. You have one son who leaves you and the other who stays with you. The son that leaves you, you are consumed with. You want him back. You plead for him. You beg for him. He finally comes home, but it's like at the same moment, you now lose the son that you had. You now lose him because he sees little brother come in and, and, and big brother's going, what the heck? I've been here the whole time. I, I don't, I don't want to go into the party. I don't want to go celebrate. So dad now, he gains one, but then he loses one. Dad is constantly getting torn between two sons. And then look, look what he says here, verse 29. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Uh-oh. You know what the little brother did when the little brother came home? He was willing to trade his sonship for a slave ship. He literally went up to his dad. He said, I I know I've wronged you. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not willing to, or I'm willing to come back, not as your son, but as a slave. And his father says, nope, not how it works in my house. When you come home, you come home as a son of mine. You don't come home as a slave. But now older brother, older brother looks at his dad and he says, I am your slave. I've been slaving here the entire time. (laughs) I've been slaving here the entire time. I've been working for you. I've been slaving for you. I've earned every bit of what he is getting right now, but I haven't gotten it. Let's keep reading. Verse 30, but when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Are you kidding me? We get a glimpse into older brother's heart. And what's sad about this is older brother was just as lost as younger brother, but older brother never left home. I opened it up kind of funny, you know, rule breakers and rule followers, two different types of people. But, but in the kingdom of God, before you have a relationship with Jesus, there's one type of person, and it's lost people. Amen. It's lost people. Little brother was lost, but that played itself out externally. He left, he lived wild, he made bad decisions, he lived irresponsibly. It's easy to identify somebody who's lost when they function like the little brother, but it's much more difficult to identify the older brothers of our world who are lost because it doesn't seem like it on the outside. In fact, on the outside, it seems like they have everything together. 
On the outside, it seems like they're good. On the outside, especially for older brothers, I'm not, I am an older brother, but I don't function like an older brother in this story. I, I function much more like the lost, like the prodigal child that runs away and, and makes bad decisions. The older brother, though, isn't it true that it's often, if you identify as them, how easy it is for you to feel invisible? To feel like everything I've done, every decision I've made, I was the obedient child. I did do what you asked me to do. I was good at work. I did honor my boss. I did honor my spouse. I did. Isn't it frustrating when you feel like you do all of the right things and you constantly get overlooked? This is the older brother. And there's a lot of what he says that I, it, it's hard to blame him. And it's hard to look at him and go, well, you're wrong. Because I know there's certainly been seasons of my life where I felt like everything I did was right, and yet somebody else got the thing that I want. What's older brother want? Man, appreciation, recognition, honor, respect, influence, power. I mean, you name it. And, and older brother's in a very precarious position right now. He's adopting this thing I like to refer to. I've heard it referred to this before, but I really like it, called recipe theology. Recipe theology plays itself like this. I work hard. I mixed in a couple of these. I work hard. I mix in good behavior with longevity, hard work, perseverance. I follow the rules, and then I get blank. Said it a differently, or said it a different way. When I do the right things, I should get the right things. There's a lot of people in the church, there's a lot of people outside the church that adopt this mentality or this theology. This is how they see God. When I'm good to God, when I behave to God, when I am obedient to God, then God owes me. It's like an equation. On one side is the part that we control of the equal sign, right? This is what I do. And then on the other side, this is what I should get. Older brother is looking at dad saying, I did everything right and you owe me. That's not right theology. That, that's actually not God's character. That's not how God's kingdom works. That's not how our world works, right? That's a great spot for an amen. We know that. We know that, but here's the other thing that's true. If you go, well, I, I don't believe that. I, I don't necessarily feel that. Let me play it out the opposite way. When, you, when other people do bad things, when they make bad decisions, when they live horribly or immorally, when they live a certain way, isn't it justice when they get a horrible life? That's a whole lot more convicting to answer that question. Often we adopt this theology without ever even realizing it. And the father sees it, but he sees his sons not, not as a good one and a bad one, not as one who's found and one who's lost. He sees his sons as two lost sons that he's been begging and pleading to come home. What the father wants more than anything is a relationship with his sons and a relationship between his sons. That's what's the most important thing to this father. Luke 15, 30, it says this. I want to read it one more time. But, but when this son of yours, how many of you with parents or how many of you with kids? All of us have parents. Duh. How many of us with kids uh, do you know that your kid becomes your fault to your spouse when they start acting bad? You know what I'm talking about? I have a two and a half year old. I've caught Shannon saying it a couple times, even recently. Going, Your son was a nightmare today. And I went, well, I remember both of us being involved in that decision. 
I think he's got equal amount of DNA in both, and it's hard to tell who's functioning right now. So, isn't that true? But the older brother is looking at his dad going, this is your son. And then he talks about your property. He uses that, that pronoun again. It's your property. That gives you a glimpse in the older brother's heart. Do you know whose property he was really consumed with? His own. He knew he was entitled to the inheritance that dad would leave behind. When little brother came back, it wasn't, oh, welcome back, but now you get no inheritance. Dad welcomed him back not as a slave, but as a what? As a son. And a son has a rightful claim to the inheritance. So as he comes home, older brother feels this, the two-thirds of my estate that remained is now cut up yet again. So as he looks at daddy, he's going, this isn't fair. He is costing me. But he projects it out on his father. He says, this is your son, and he's coming after your property, and he's making stupid decisions, and he's living with prostitutes, and basically, you killed the, the fattened calf for him, and life's not fair. Isn't it hard to blame him? There's a decent amount of him that you just go, yep, I would be mad too. Maybe that's true of your life right now. Maybe there's somebody at work or somebody in your family or a neighbor or a spouse or a child, whatever it is, somebody that's living life and they're making horrible decisions. They're living immoral. They have a distant, maybe if any, relationship with God and it seems like their life is working, but then you look at your life and the thing that you want most Maybe it's just peace in your family. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's a better job. Maybe it's a nicer house. Maybe, maybe it's more money at your job. Maybe it's recognition. Whatever it is, you look at other people and you say, they're not doing the right thing, but they keep getting the thing that I want. And there's this thing called bitterness that begins to take root in our hearts. And the father has the intention of reaching both of his sons. And the father is meant to represent God in the story. I think our temptation in this is to go, okay, well, which son am I? Am I the younger son or am I the older son? Do I have more in common with the little one or the big one? And the goal of this story is to communicate the heart of God, which is on display through the father. And a father who has two lost sons. Sometimes the hardest people to reach are lost people who think they're found. And this week, we're talking about the older brother. Is there anybody in your life that lives with that recipe theology? It, it might be you, but it also might be someone else. Is there anybody close to you? Anybody you're married to? Kids, coworkers, neighbors? Any, is there anybody that lives with that mindset that is actually lost in their relationship with God, they think they can earn the grace that he offers, yet they can't see it for themselves. Is there anybody like that in your life? Uh, when I was younger, um, so I'm the oldest of four, and uh, I like to stir the pot, as they would say. So I, I would come home, and I would like to, I'd be like, wow, it's quiet, it's peaceful here. Let's see what we can shake up. <laughs> that's what I would do. I'd cause problems just for the sake of causing problems, seeing what kind of reaction I could get. I also, this is horrible. I'm confessing now. Um, I, I would also create problems with different siblings and then see if I could resolve it uh, before I got in trouble. So 
I learned a great talk-down technique, I mean, with a number of my siblings. I was like, oh, wow, that escalated quick. She's in tears. I'm going to be in big trouble, and Dad's getting home in 10 minutes. I need to de-escalate this fast. I mean, so that, it was kind of like, it was fun, it was entertaining, whatever. Um, but that just, I mean, I, I was hurting. I mean, I, I want you to hear this. I was hurting. I had pieces in my life that I was super dissatisfied, dissatisfied with. I was struggling, I was hurting, I was lonely, I was lost. And so I kind of took out some of that anger and that frustration on my siblings. So I still remember there's, there's a couple different times, but one in particular um, where I was stirring the pot, I was causing problems, I was upset, I was having a bad day. So I was targeting my siblings and stirring them and, and basically giving them a bad day. So we were in it together. And my mom kind of lost her mind at us and she screamed, like I'm sure none of you parents ever do. And she screamed at us and she said, will you just stop it already? All I want in my life is for you kids to get along. And then she stormed off and walked away with tears in her eyes. And it hit me so deeply because I, I remember thinking, I, that wasn't my goal. I didn't want to hurt my mom. My mom didn't do anything to deserve that. But it hit me because it, I had the ability to fix it, and I was choosing not to. I had the ability to make things right with my siblings. I, I was like the little brother in the family. I, I made a lot of bad decisions. I was the rebellious one, but, but I picked on my siblings who were good, who were obedient because of how they made me feel. I felt less than. So I went, come on down to my level. I was trying to hurt them because of a hurt place in me, and then it wounded somebody I didn't even mean to. I can't help but think the Father often looks at us, looks at people who do have a relationship with him, people who don't have a relationship with him. He looks at all of us and he sees, can you imagine the words of the Father saying, all I want is to have a relationship with you and that you would have a relationship with your brothers and sisters. That you wouldn't see them as they are, that, that you would see them through my eyes. That you'd see the pain and the brokenness and the hurt, that you would love them with the same level of love that I love them. When you understand that's the Father's heart, that, that He loves us that way, but His desire is also that we would love others that way, it changes how we relate to other people. This past year has reminded me there are very different types of lost people. And it's easy to see some of them who are like the younger brother who just rebel or push back or live differently and, and decide or throw against. It's easy to identify them, but, but one of the hardest groups to identify is, is people who are lost who think they are found. Because just like so many of us understand, they often kind of set back into the background. That often their struggle isn't external, their struggle is internal. And if we're not looking for them, if we don't have our antennas up and our eyes open to see who around me is struggling internally, that external, the older brother struggled immensely internally. And it didn't come out until a party for his older brother or for his younger brother. The younger brother's struggle was external, which came from internal. The Father's heart, though, is that there would be a relationship restored among all of them. So I want to ask this question. The question is this, how do we reach the older brothers? One of our temptations in this story is to identify with the younger brother or the older brother. 
I think what God's heart is and his intention for this story is for us to also identify with the father. The father who loves his boys, who would do anything for his boys, who begged and pleaded with them, who begged and pleaded with God, bring them home. I just love them. Anything I have is theirs. The father's heart for his boys is the same heart that God has for us. Let's read Luke 15, verse 31. This is what the father actually says. He looks at his son and he says, my son. Isn't that great that he starts with the identity of his son? Because his son just looked at him and he said, I'm your slave. I've been slaving for you forever. And he looks at him and he says, nope, I'm going to speak to that lie. You're not my slave. You are my son. And then he says this. He says, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. You're, you're always here. You've always been there. I love you. There, there's nothing that I would withhold from you. There's nothing that I keep back from you. Everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of whose? I love that he changes that. He doesn't say because my other son. Because that would distance the relationship between the boys. That the only thing that connected them would be the father. What he does is, no, 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 no. This is your brother. You guys have a relationship. He's not my son only. He is also your brother. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so therefore, we are going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. And we're going to do so together for this reason. Our older brothers, not the older brothers, not other people, whatever. Our older brothers, our older sisters, our people, the people in our lives who are struggling inwardly, who have a distant relationship, if any, between God. The inward struggle that maybe doesn't play itself out externally. Our older brothers of the world need just as much grace as our younger brothers, even if they don't realize it. So that question, Brad asked me to tackle that for today. He said, how do we reach the older brothers? I have sweat over this question. And I'm trying to think, going, I don't know. They're all so different. But then I, I, I backtracked and I went back to last week and I went, well, how do we reach the younger brothers of the world? People who are struggling externally, people who are turning their backs on God or whatever. We give them grace, Right? That's the message of, of Jesus is, hey, you didn't earn this. You can't earn this, but, but I did this for you. I earned it for you. So when you receive this now, it's no longer a payment. It's grace. So if we're called to give grace to the younger brothers of the world, grace to the ones who have run away, grace to the ones who have left home and then, then crawled their way back, if we're called to give grace to them, then we are also called to give grace to those that don't even realize they need it. And it says we represent the Father to lost people. As we represent him, as we live like him. You know, prodigal, the, the story is called the prodigal son, but it's kind of a funny name because prodigal doesn't describe the son nearly as well as it describes the father. Another word for prodigal is reckless. That song that we sang. The father is borderline reckless with the love and the grace he gives his boys. God's intention, 
through Jesus as he's sharing this story. He's talking to religious people who don't realize they're lost. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. The, the mistake that the religious leaders made at that moment was they thought Jesus was talking about somebody else. They were just as sick. Jesus said, I came for you. So as we leave today or as we close today, I just want to do two things. One, I think we need to identify lost people in our lives. As we've talked about, oftentimes lost people who are struggling inwardly sometimes are difficult to see. In some cases, they're here every Sunday. In some cases, they're, they're still married. In some cases, they're the one that works hard at work and gets no recognition. In some cases, they're the students who just bust their butt and they work really hard and they can't keep up with everybody else. And often we miss the inward struggle that is going on. Secret I learned, I learned this after marriage. Often one of, some of the most critical people of others are the most critical of themselves. And the best thing we can do is to give them grace. That's just number two. Once you identify somebody, look for every opportunity to give them grace. It's not something they can earn, but it is something that you can give. So let's do that this week as a representation and as a reflection of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. Let us do that for other people. Father, we just come before you and we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you have just so, so generously, lavishly shared with us. We pray for the prodigals. Pray for the ones who are, are struggling. Pray, pray for the ones who are, are wasting their lives. Pray for the ones who are just running from you, who are distant from you. Father, we pray that you would move in their lives. And then all of us in this room right now, we, we pray that you would allow us to be a part of the process. That you would insert us, that we would make ourselves a bit available for kids or parents or spouses or coworkers or neighbors or peers, whatever it may be, Father, for people who are heavy on our hearts right now, who, who maybe for the first time are thinking they might be struggling in a way I don't understand. We pray for them. And we pray that you would activate us, that you would send us into their lives to be a steward of your grace. We love you. We pray that you would do mighty things in the hearts of us and in the hearts of lost people. And it's in Jesus' name that we all pray this together. Everybody said...